A very warm welcome to the latest episode of My Middle East, Embrace the Middle East's very own podcast series. I'm Tim Livesey, CEO of Embrace the Middle East, the UK development charity, and I'm hosting this series. Through conversations with people who really know and understand the Middle East, we want to get behind the headlines to explore the real challenges and the everyday realities of life in this complex, beautiful, and sometimes troubled part of the world. I'm absolutely delighted that today I'm talking to the Reverend Dr. Nadim Nasser, who's the Executive Director of the Awareness Foundation. Nadim is Syrian, and we're going to come back to the Awareness Foundation and the work that it's doing in Syria. But first, I'm going to ask Nadim to plunge straight in and tell us the events that kicked off in Syria in 2011. What happened there after that? Nadim, first of all, I imagine that you were in the UK when the demonstrations began in 2011. When you saw that, what kind of thing was going through your mind and what did you expect to happen next? Thank you very much for having me, Tim. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be with Embrace Middle East. When I saw that, it was in the middle, as you remember, of what so-called the, the Arab Spring. And... Um, um, the, the people across the Middle East were excited about, I think, one word, change. Yeah. We were about to experience change. And the whole region needed that change. But the, the question is how and in what way and change from what to what? That was the question. So what happened in Syria is like the whole region, we needed change. We needed uh, uh, someone to stand up against corruption, against um, the, the, the institutions that became tired and old and, and, and falling apart. The whole, the whole system needed to be um, rebooted, if you, if you like. Yeah. And this is how, how, how it all started. Were you hopeful at that point? Uh, as you say, it was in the context of the Arab Spring. There were demands across the, the region for, for change. And it we hadn't yet got to the point where many of those aspirations were disappointed. Were you hopeful that there could be change in Syria? Yes, I was, I was hopeful as long as it was peaceful. I was hopeful that, that uh, the voice of the people could reach somewhere and um, the government would have would would also affirm what the people wanted in the beginning and try to uh, make changes that engage with those voices which were loud and clear that the situation couldn't continue like it was. I mean, that's fascinating, Nadim, because looking back with hindsight and, and, you know, hindsight, we're told is a wonderful thing, but it's also it, it's not always wonderful because it distorts your 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 recollection mm -hmm. uh, of of events of what actually was happening. Sounds to me like you thought that the regime might not might have responded in a different way, might not have responded necessarily by resorting to violence. But my understanding is that that's exactly what happened. They did resort to violence. Well, it, uh, the, the resistance 
from the uh, police and the military was excessive and and that with the excitement of the street and and you hear all kinds of stories about how it turned to be violent yeah but but the end result is that um without without taking side and and i'm not a politician i'm i'm a priest and i i look at that at the what my country my beloved country syria needed it needed change and it does need change today yeah. and and it will we always need to change um and reform our systems our our institutions otherwise it moves on and we fall we fall uh, back that change didn't happen and somehow between the the violence of of the military and the police and the the resistance of the people violence started and it it moved from being a movement a, a street movement uh to to send a message to the government and to the president and to the whole regime and encourage them to engage with it encourage them to change encourage them to uh look at what was going on in the country and and listen to the people to the pulse of the street and that what what um unfortunately the regime didn't do so everything erupted and started uh, by by violence and killing and things got out of hand so we'll come on to that in just one second Nadim. may I, and this is a difficult question to ask but knowing what you now know the train of events that followed would, would you put the clock back if you could i wouldn't put the clock back on the movement in the beginning to to say to the uh uh ruling government and and the president and the parliament of syria and everybody that that was um in responsibility and accountability to say the situation could not have continued as it was um, of course uh, violence is always the bad way to 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 go for change um but what what made it worse tim is when it it took a sectarian uh, religious uh, identity so it becomes a uh, uh, sunni alawite christian um all those druze and and it it started to emerge as um, a sectarian conflict which was not definitely was not and nobody wanted that just to pause on that for a moment you know who is responsible for for making it a sectarian conflict i mean you know were these elements from within syria are these elements that came into syria uh to take advantage was there a latent you know sectarian divide already existing that just needed uh some touch you know some some a touch paper to be lit you know could you just give us a sense of and particularly perhaps from a christian perspective but not only you know was this inevitable no it wasn't inevitable but as you said uh, 
we had a fertile ground to turn things into sectarian because as you know Tim in Iraq and in Lebanon in Syria in Palestine in Egypt it is easy to turn things into a religious conflict you need only to throw some slogans in the Middle East and the fire uh, uh, rages uh, with that and and let me say to 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 the listeners that in 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 the Middle East even if if I was an atheist, totally an atheist, and I don't believe in any God or in anything, and I was brought up a Christian, for example, or a Muslim, or an Alawi, whatever, and all my life I was totally atheist. So, you come and you throw a, a word or a sentence against the religion that I was brought up in, suddenly I flip and I become more Christian than Jesus Christ <laughs> and more Muslim than Prophet Muhammad. And suddenly I, I become fanatic and, and things go crazy. So we have this tendency in the Middle East. We can't deny it, Tim. And a lot of people played on that and stirred those tendencies to erupt things and to make them worse. And, and they succeeded because the whole, the whole um, movement uh, moved or, or changed from being a, a message of change and, and uh, uh, stopping the, the corruption and, the, and the, uh, the decaying of the institutions into a you are Muslim, I'm Christian, and you are an Alawite, I'm a Druze, and and all that. So how yeah. how on earth did that did that happen? There there are and there were and there will always be those tendencies in the Middle East. Yeah, that's so interesting. Thank you, Nadim. I mean, I I, I makes me think of the the document that was recently produced in Lebanon called We Choose Abundant Life. And one of the things, it's really a reflection on what is the role of the church uh, in the Middle East right now. And yes. personally, I actually think it, it's what is the role of the church in the world. And um, one of the things that it, it stresses is the importance of, I mean, Christians in, in, in Lebanon, Christians in Syria, they are citizens. Muslims in Lebanon, in Syria, are citizens. And so when they come together in the way that you've described to demand change they they come together to demand change as citizens not specifically as christians not specifically as muslims but having said that you know they have an identity uh, multiple identities and their, their 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 religious affiliation or that of their family or their antecedents is important to them and as you say attack that and 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 you can expect a response um, and then and the the dignity of life would be lost yeah once you you present yourself as oh i'm christian no 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 i'm a muslim well tell me something i always ask my my, my friends in syria who can uh, who can annihilate the other the muslims cannot end the uh, the existence of the other minorities and the minorities cannot end the existence of the, the the Sunni majority and no one is able or or is trying 
to uh, um, overwhelm or, or uh, uh, marginalize the other. Why are we doing that? This mm. is crazy. So the, the only way, it, and, and I all, all the, the, the team of uh, uh, Abundant Life or Choosing uh, Life uh, team in, in Lebanon, all are my friends, all of them without any exception. And I, I respect very much what they say. But I hope that this message would be embraced not by only by Christians or the church, but by everybody. Because as you said, after all, we are all citizens of Lebanon. We are all citizens of Syria. We are all citizens of Iraq. So let's behave like, like citizens first before we, we, I behave like a Christian or a Muslim or I'm persecuted or I'm, I'm oppressor, I'm oppressed. Before all that, let's acknowledge that the Middle East is diverse and the identity, the cultural identity, the languages, the religions, the, the beliefs, all of that is wonderfully diverse. Him. It's not. I'm not saying diverse as a as a. Well, unfortunately, it, they are. The, no, I'm saying we should celebrate that. It's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. I mean, I I couldn't agree more. And you know, it's such a privilege for me and for my colleagues at Embrace to 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 be to be introduced to this diversity, to have the opportunity to travel, although uh, sadly, um, that isn't the case with Syria. We haven't been able to travel to Syria. Can I ask you, um, Nadim, just on that last point, <clears throat> which is so important, uh, both that this diversity is a wonderful thing, but also that it must and it should be celebrated. Can I ask you, when you observe uh, us in the West, um, let's just stick to the UK, you know, and, and whether it's Christians in the UK or others in the UK, do you feel that people instinctively understand what you've just said? Uh, and do you feel um, that, do we sometimes over, do we play into this narrative that differentiates between people uh, into, a, for example, a persecution narrative or, yeah, do you, you know, do you feel frustrated with us? Um, let me tell you something you might be surprised to hear. I think globally, globally, the biggest and most dangerous issue that we are unable to resolve so far is diversity, even in this country. And I think there is a lot of tension, um, like burning coals under the ashes. And it needs only somebody to blow the ashes or to stir something and, and problems will erupt. And they do erupt from time to time, even if we don't hear about them in this country. So it's not, it, well, in Europe, I'm talking in this country, in the West, in North America. Also, um, there are problems concerning diversity and we need not to shy away from addressing them. We need to face them head on and not to try to, to pretend everything is okay. No, everything is not okay. As if, you know, we in this country or in, in, in other countries of, of, of Europe, oh, well, 
you know, everything is fine and we, uh, we live in a diverse world. No, I don't agree with that. So just, we know that terrible things happened uh, in Syria in the period between 2012 and right, you know, up until very recently. Um, we know about ISIS, we know about Al-Qaeda and others. Um, we know that there was carpet bombing and all of that. I'm going to leave that to one side. People know about that. Coming to the present day, Nadim, how do you assess the situation right now? And and just as a starter, and then we'll talk about how you think they might think how things might proceed from here. But how would you assess this? You've been there recently. I know you're going again uh, later this week. What is your assessment of the current situation uh, in Syria and for the Syrian people? Unfortunately, Tim, Tim um, we still think in the West that sanctions work. And when we uh, place the country under sanctions, uh, we, are, we are putting pressure on the government. This is not true. Because sanctions are expensive and pricey only for the normal people, only for the people that live like everyday life. Sanctions don't touch the rich, don't touch, touch the powerful. You may sanction individuals. I think this is all total nonsense. This is not how we solve conflicts. This is not how we should, as Christians, stand up for resolving our issues and our differences and our uh, problems. We should, why, I don't know why, dialogue comes at the end. After everything explodes, uh, everything, and, and thousands of people die and, and destruction spread, we say, let's talk. Well, why do we think that if we initiate dialogue in the middle, in the beginning of the conflict, this is weak? I remember, I remind friends and politicians and from, from both the, the, the government and the oppositions, I have friends everywhere. I remind them all the time that they were both stubborn in the beginning. We don't we don't talk with 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 the other because the other are are um, um, criminals and and they the bad guys. they have blood on their hands and yeah. and they they exchange blames and and but after that they are dying to sit and and find a way out because both sides are exhausted both sides they lost a lot both sides are losing the country at the at the end of the day half of syria is on the move 12 million people it's the biggest disaster ever so what are you waiting for but we 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 think sanctions bombings uh, power muscles every single president in the united states every single president we, we, we were uh, counting all the presidents the other, the other day in, the, in, in New York, when I was in New York. Every single president bombed somewhere in the world. 
And as if, as if the president of the United States wouldn't be a president until he, at, at the moment he, no, there, are, there is no shape, until he flexes his muscles and shows the world that he can bomb and he can use the, 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 the military might. This is very sad to me. So, I mean, Nadim, you are a wise man. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm taking it that one of your recommendations would be the lifting of sanctions because they hurt the poor, they don't touch the rich. We'll come on to, to you and we'll come on to the Awareness Foundation in just a second. But if you were addressing this trust, Biden, whoever, what would you be saying to them right now, just in, say, three or four points? Or indeed, or indeed, um, you know, uh, President uh, Assad. In the past, the Syrian-Syrian dialogue was vital and important. But later, now, it's irrelevant. Because the dialogue is between the countries that are playing the political games and the military games inside Syria. N namely, um, the United States, Russia, Britain, uh, Iran, Turkey. So there are many players, Saudi Arabia, uh, many players who are influencing the situation in Syria. And again and again, for 12 years, I've been screaming to say, dialogue is the way out. But it seems the name of the game is not dialogue, is deals. Who would secure deals with whom? And on that, on those deals, solutions would be offered or suggested. And always the losers are the people. We could be talking about the Middle East and, and over the last 100 years, couldn't we? And, and, and you know, in terms and the of... Ukraine is the same, Tim. Deals, the, yeah. The, 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 the dialogue in the beginning was not enough, in my opinion. Immediately, Europe uh, raised the stake and, and, and threatened and, and were angry. And, well, why, why couldn't Europe dialogue with Russia and Europe and the United States? about what Russia expects. Where is the dialogue? Where is the wisdom of the world? After, after centuries of experience, after two world wars that, that destroyed millions and millions, haven't we learned anything? So let's look forward, Nadim. Can I just ask you, what is the role of the church in, in building a better future in Syria? or indeed and and when i say the church i mean specifically the syrian church but 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 also the church more widely the global church what is it that we you you uh we can and should be doing this year next year and the year after in this in this sort of near to medium term what is our role i think our role is not to give up on being the prophetic voice in the in the world once we lose and we have lost uh, being the prophetic voice, uh, being the voice of the voiceless, being the voice of the people, the those who are suffering. Um, justice is not is not um, a result of uh, uh, a good heart. No, justice is in the heart of the cross and the resurrection for Christians. Justice is who, who gives back what the people lost in the last 
12 years in Syria. Justice is embracing the mystery of the cross and acting as the people of the resurrection. I don't see the church acting like this in, in the world. There are more than 80 million refugees in the world, Tim. Where is the church? I'm, I'm talking about the top level of the church. We only pray and, and uh, do documents and, and talk, talk. Where is the church? Where is the weight of the church to stand up, not, not to take political uh, stance like mm. some churches are doing, East and West, but to stand for with the people, stand with dialogue, stand with the love of God that poured in us through Christ. Where is that? When I when I defend a regime, a political regime, or a leader, or we, I, I am I am doing no favor to the people or to Christ. I have to be with the people, with the poor, with with those who are suffering. The so tell me, is not doing what we 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 should do. Now, modesty would forbid you, Nadim, to claim that you are, but I know you are. Tell us just a little bit about the work of the, the foundation now. And, and I know that if you had greater resources, you could do even more. But just tell us about what you are able to do a little bit about um, and indeed, you know, a little bit about your personal motivation. I know that your your sister Huda is, 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 is you know, you're, you're doing this together. Um, tell us what you hope to achieve in, 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 the, in, the, in the coming year or, or so. In, in the foundation, we chose, Tim, consciously to side with the people who are in Syria, not outside. The, the, the problem of the refugees is huge. And big, huge organizations, including the United Nations, are dealing with the refugees. What about the people who are inside Syria? We, we chose to uh, be active inside. We uh, chose to support and empower young people inside Syria. And we have a program called the Ambassadors for Peace. And we are now going to Aleppo for the first time to run Ambassadors for Peace, to empower those young people to overcome their trauma and their suffering. And not only uh, just to live, but to turn their energy into being agents of peace and reconciliation in their own broken communities. And also we have a, a program for children. It's called Little Heroes. And we are proud and, and delighted to partner with Embrace Middle East to, to expand and to improve and to uh, 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 develop further this program for children between 6 and 12. And, uh, we are delighted that we are able to support uh, Christians, Muslims, any any uh, children that come come to Little Heroes program, and help them to smile again, to have hope, to uh, to behave like children. Tim, yeah, our children have lost in Syria even the smile. They have lost what it means to be children to behave like children. This is what we are doing. Very little, but as a, as a small organization, we are doing what we can. 
Nadim, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to draw it to a close now because that's a wonderful note to to finish on. May I just say I, I've just come back from Iraq and I went to a, a camp in northern Iraq for, for Yazidis, and um, <laughs> the children were extraordinary. Luckily, they haven't. You know, they've had time and they are learning to smile again and and be just like little children everywhere. Thank God. Um, but. And and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for your commitment. And thank you for being both able to speak prophetically uh, and directly to leaders, to people who make decisions, and at the same time to work with people who are precluded from decision making and whose voices generally don't get heard. Um, thank you for the work that the Awareness Foundation does. And I hope the listeners will will look up your website and check out more. But Nadine, you've been absolutely brilliant, so clear so articulate so passionate in absolutely the right way so thank you so much for joining us for this episode of uh, my middle east thank you so much tim for having me and it's a pleasure to work with you and with uh, embrace middle east you are doing a marvelous job and together we can do even more thank you so much and god bless you thank you <laughs>